You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Batteries store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to another Land and Legacy Habitat Heroes podcast. I'm Adam Keith. And I'm Matt Dye. And we're headed down the road <laughs> once again. Once again, Here yeah. We go. Get, get used to it this time of year. Yeah, uh, it's it's consulting season. We've been traveling like crazy, and seriously uh, like crazy since and, middle and of December. I, and I want to take this time to say something. I, I guess we're getting a little like, bit of feedback there. I'm going to have to turn my phone. There we go. That's better. There it is. Um, I want to say something here. Because I've thought a lot about it, especially the last couple of days. I've got an hour, so go ahead. Got an hour. <laughs> um, this is my sincere thank you and appreciation to our military. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that have served, people that are serving, currently serving. Um, you guys, uh, tip of the cap, couldn't do this without you. Um, your service absolutely uh, hasn't gone unnoticed by me, Matt, Landon Legacy team, uh, which is us too. Here we are. Um, Just can't thank you guys enough. We've spent going on eight days uh, traveling and consulting and of course I've got an eight week daughter, eight week old daughter uh, and a wife and This, this coming week is your anniversary Yes. My anniversary. And, and we're on the road. We're on the road. And and it's only been eight days, and it's just like... It puts things into perspective, honestly. It, when you think about deployment and, and people that have sacrificed so much, Man, their lives... Much greater than what we're doing right here. Yeah. We've been seven days walking farms. It's a lot of fun. And at the same time, we're still missing home. Oh, yeah. And so this is our thank you to you guys because we couldn't do this without you. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, you guys. I know there's veterans that and veterans that are serving, and 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 
ones that have uh, that are still serving. Um, this is well, our active, active and, and uh, retired. Yeah. And so, thank you guys. I say that as we were kind of trying to figure out our turn. So there, it sounded like a little bit cluttered in here. That's what was going on. And a defrost. Yeah. And trying get, to try to eliminate the the kickback that we were or the feedback that we were getting um, due to using our phones around our equipment. Um, so, anyway, veterans, thank you guys so much. This week, we've got a lot of things to cover. Um, with with five four properties, or I guess four, four consults, and two other properties that we looked at. Uh, or that we continue to look at, we cult- yep. consulted on before. Uh, there's a lot of topics that came up, a lot of things that we saw that once again was a reminder of the Reoccurring importance. Things. Um, and then we'll have the last half of the podcast talking about multi-use um, with properties. Um, and so, First, really, go on. A couple, just a couple of announcements, I guess, about uh, some upcoming things that we're going to be at. We'd love to see some people at. Um, number one, this coming weekend, I believe it's the 8th and the 9th in the Springfield, Missouri area. There's the, um, what's what's the name of the show? It's Hunt the Hunting of The Ark of the Ozarks Hunting and yeah. Fishing Outdoor Expo. That one. We will be there um, with a booth and giving a seminar as well. So if you're in the Springfield, Missouri area or close to it, um, stop by. We'd love to see you. Uh, we're presenting Saturday at 10 a.m. So um, be sure to, to come by and see us and sit down for a presentation um, or come by the booth. And then the following weekend, we are going to be in Nashville with Pure Air Natives at their booth, selling some hats as well as doing another kind of a seminar after hours social event um, Saturday, February 16th at the Gaylord Opryland Hotel, Bayou Room C. Um, six o'clock. Be there because we're doing another seminar that we've never presented on before. It's not built yet. <laughs> we gotta do that. But it's uh, when? When I are we gonna know. do that? I, I honestly don't know. That's the scary part. Um, but we will be doing it. And I, I'm. We we chatted about what we're gonna talk about. Don't want to quite give it away yet. But um, I, I'm I'm excited for that presentation. Excited to meet some people who are already gonna be attending Nashville uh, for the NWTF. Um, convention so definitely join us there and uh we'd love to we'd love to see you i think that's the what no check out land wildlife and conservation community facebook page it's it's linked to our land and legacy page it's kind of a great place for us all to get together and discuss true habitat management techniques a lot um, of great stuff already going on there. Yeah, a lot of a lot of great pictures already. A lot of great contributors to that page. Um, it's just a, a lot of a lot of cool things happening over there. Um, what's the What's the show in March? The first and second of March is the uh, Land and Gin Show. Is that right? There in Memphis, Gun and Gin, Gun and Gin Show, something like that. Yeah, we're gonna be there with Stratton Seed. Um, so. Definitely come out to that Memphis one as well. I can't tell you how much I hate this rental car. <laughs> it's tiny, and it I'm trying. Usually, we close. have plenty of room for a podcast gear, and my my volume's cutting in and out because I, really? everything's. Oh, I just man, I just hate. Ooh, what's what's that Grusfaba? Just 
deep breaths. Remember that? Uh, What's the movie? Anger Management. I never watched it. Really? No, I never watched Here's it. I'm trying to follow our... <laughs> our, our uh, When's the next turn? 0.4 miles? Yeah, that's what it says. So, people, you're, guys, you're just riding along with us this time. That's right. So, just consulting happened in Pennsylvania. Yep. Two properties. And also Ohio mm-hmm. and West Virginia. Yep. And right now we're headed to a property in Indiana. That's right. And so... We've got some key things that we noticed that we also that kind of like learning things that we uh, that we noticed in our con- uh, consults that we did this past week, and then also we kind of got the second half of the podcast is going to be devoted multi-use properties and some more things, some ideas, things to kick around, and uh, anyway, and I would encourage all of our listeners to if you haven't go check out the For Love and Land podcast this week Ooh. topic we haven't covered ever. Um, ever and we will continue to cover more and more in the future um that goes apart with and it helps if you don't hit the rumble strips while we're driving um i just know i'm still awake and so uh really awesome topic about pond management pond creation pond architecture everything like that so uh, one one other thing that as we were traveling quite a bit this week um through social media we had the opportunity to kind of share where we're at and, and people were commenting in and, and exchanging messages, hey, I didn't know you guys came out this far or, you know, worked this area. There's not an area that really we, we won't work. Um, as you know, long as we have knowledge on the landscape absolutely. there. Absolutely. If, so if you're kind of wondering, hey, would you guys come to my area, let us know. Send, send an email to info at landandlegacy.tv. Um, if it's something that, that we feel that we can – um, help you with we're absolutely going to do that and also so. um, one thing that people have kind of we've talked about trying to with the consulting business to where I mean we travel a lot so we're trying to find ways to to lower the price down to where people are all having to pay the initial upfront travel fee yeah. um, we have a trip coming up oh man it's hard to even squeeze them in there but we do have some trips scheduled for uh, March in Oklahoma and north central K- Kansas Kansas so if you're in those areas, we have a trip in probably to uh, Texas too. In May, coming up to uh, Ohio. Ohio again. Yep. So and we're going to be up there for a while. So if there's anybody in that Ohio, West Virginia, Southern PA, Virginia, Virginia, region Maryland well. region, and possibly a trip to Georgia in April as well. Yeah. So and I'm trying to think if we have any others. So I'm going to Alabama next week. Yep. That one's I'll already cut short, so um, don't. <laughs> there's no way we can squeeze, <laughs> squeeze any more in that one. And then, uh, man, I, also, something we've been kicking around. Should we even announce it or just – what do you guys think? Right, let's just go ahead. Let's just throw the idea out there. And, and this is, guys, where we would want you to respond. Um, and, and give us your feedback on – on, I guess numbers and interest on something like this. I'm fine to open it up. It's not something that we're 100% um, certain we're going to do. We'd like to do it and think that's a great opportunity. Um, this is for the guys too. Well, this is for everybody, but for the guys that maybe girls. have yeah, Don't guys and girls that have 16 acres or. Maybe it's 50 acres, and you're like, I just, I don't know if I can justify you guys coming there, but I would love to talk and see, pick your brain. This is the opportunity. So, what do you think about a workshop? 
regionally speaking. So we oh. pick a farm and we're in traveling a region to in, certain regions. In uh, so we cut down to where we all just meet at a place, and then we talk habitat for a day and a half, and maybe it's a seminar and dinner, yep. and then we also do some uh, full day on site. Full day on site to where we can practice, <clears throat> we can showcase exactly how we do edge feathering, what that looks like. We practice timber stand improvement and how we would treat the trees. We practice it's old a, field a mock, management. And, and a mock consultation as well. It's That's basically what it is. Yeah. And so you guys can get an idea for for what it is that we do and then take that back to your place. And, and, and we talk all these you know techniques and such on the podcast. And, and hopefully we are able to give lots of details on each topic. But there's only so much or so much detail we can give um, and visualization that we can give through a podcast. So this is kind of a way that we've decided, hey, we might try this in the summer, you know, basically do one event, um, you know, let's say June, July, and August, do an event in, in strategic locations and regions, cover them, um, but just get people out and, and showcase in a more visual, on-site, basically proper way, all these techniques that we commonly talk about, and get people all together um, who are like-minded, build the community, and discuss these things on properties. That's right. So if that's something that you'd be interested in um, coming to and attending, let us know. Um, and I think because there's certain regions that we know we could we could go into right now. There's, there's properties. We already have landowners in place. Yeah, yeah. It's just whether or not there's enough of you guys that would want to join us there. Um and really, that's what it comes down to. Because I think, you know, as we're consulting and we talk so much about habitat, that's a big part of what our consulting is. But another big part of it is tree stand and hunting architecture or layout to where all the habitat management also supplements the hunting plan. So we lay it out to where not only is habitat being improved so your so your uh, herd and everything is healthier, but also at the same time, you're having higher success because of the way we've laid out the stands to where you're not uh, blowing out deer and, and making a lot of moves uh, around the property that are going to harm you and in, in your long-term success. So that's a, that's a big part of it, now, too. So we can, we can get a lot of people together, and we can share a lot of techniques and, and honestly do the, the hands-on outdoor classroom kind of feel and show people what we're talking about on the podcast. That's right. That's in that essence what it is. And, and fellowship, you know, one evening with the seminar and move on. That's right. And so not not everybody's having to travel to, to our yeah. farm. We need to make a post or something or give you guys a way to communicate that, hey, you, you're interested in that. Um, we're developing this as we go along. But um, you might, you, you'll you probably see that, guys, this week. So, um be sure to be checking the social media and or reaching out via email if that's something you guys would like to see. And let us know as well if you've got buddies who would like to do it. So to, we also get, not we're not looking for a head count or anything like that, but just, hey, there's there's a good group of guys that I know in, in this region who would like something like that. So it might help us be able to determine you know, exactly which regions we, we're going to hit maybe year one. So we already have possible... Um, a Michigan area one or a Wisconsin yep. area one. We have a Ohio, yep. West Virginia area, or even a South Carolina area one. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, our Missouri one. 
Um, and I think there's a there was one more I was trying to think of, but uh, it's it slipped my mind. So we already have some people that are planning for the future ones. So um, let us know what you think. Info at TV. Um, let's jump. Let's, let's jump let's into yep. what we w- some observations we made. Um, one for me started at PA, so f- I don't know four inches of snow, half inch of ice, another couple inches of snow. Brutal, 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 brutal. Because we were looking at negative four on the on the car when I got there in the morning. Um, brutally cold. So here is. One of the biggest debates we always get when it comes to the eastern red cedar. Hey, guys, guess what? We don't like eastern red cedar monocultures. You you, you didn't know that, I bet. Keyword, uh, monocultures. Yeah. So there's a lot of times whenever we see the benefit of eastern red cedar as far as on a scattered grassland where it's not very invasive, it's very bushy, it's, only, it's under six foot tall. Sure, great, whatever. Sue me. That, that's where I think a lot of people, they, 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 we get the impression that most people take the fact that we hate eastern red cedar. I hate eastern red cedar monocultures and their aggressive nature. Um, but when we see them in grasslands, and there's sometimes, a lot of times you'll and, find and deer bedded next to them. And truthfully, a managed grassland, because a management technique for that is going to be prescribed fire that can help control and keep them at the right height and density within the stand. Yeah. And so you're not going to get the aggressiveness and the invasiveness of them if it's managed correctly. Um, so, thermal cover—that's that—that's the big debate with eastern red cedar. We, well, we need thermal cover. Um, in that part of the world where I was at, PA, um, there was a lot of scattered pines and hemlock trees throughout the timber. And uh, thermal cover is necessary. And thermal cover is necessary, especially in the north yep. uh, for those hard winters. Here's the thing, though. That thermal cover is not doing you very good when it's 50 foot tall, um, or it's a pine that's a little old spindly thing that's un- in the understory of of a hardwood stand to where it's focused more on upward growth rather than up and out growth. So it's not providing very much. Uh, there's not very many needles on these pines. The first 10 foot. When it's just a baseball bat size going 10 foot up and it's got needles way at the top, it's not thermal cover, even though it is an evergreen. So thermal cover for that time of the year, would we be looking for more of a bushy evergreen or a a younger hemlock? Something that is going to block the snow but the same or limit the amount that's on the ground, but at the same time lock in a little bit of the heat. And it takes denser needles to do that. And it's it not coming sparse. with a little sparse Charlie Brown Christmas tree right. in the timber. And so how can we combat that? Um, at the same time you're doing your bedding thickets, you could create these and, and bedding thickets. Let's just, I, I think uh, there's been a little bit of confusion lately with what that exactly looks like. Let's call it a one-acre clear cut and be done with it. So you've got this one-acre clear cut where you cut out everything, and then you can plant your whatever evergreen it is that's native to your area. Uh, it could be hemlocks, it could be some pines, whatever the pine species that's native to your area. Plant them, try to create this bushy effect, mix it with some grasses and forbs, and now you've got great thermal cover with that still allows sunlight to, to come inside and melt, come inside that stand and melt that snow if it gets through the timber. So um, definitely a... Uh, 
a thing I saw up there where once we got into more bushy, bushy evergreens, we started finding some deer beds. I actually found a shed close to some of it. Oh, so, nice. Um, that's definitely one thing I saw. Where I saw okay, that, that's a topic to hit is just because we don't like eastern red cedars, especially in the Midwest where we don't get those heavy snowpacks, doesn't mean that ever, all evergreens are bad. Where they tend to be more invasive yeah and and less managed and and basically overtake areas you know everything we we, we preach diversity all the time again these some of these species are fine but they need to be at the right height and managed appropriately and the ones that are like you said sky high don't do what they're supposed to be doing or achieve a goal for wildlife that you're trying to promote on the property then they need to be removed or managed or, or replanned, restarted, so that they can do that job. If they're yeah. not doing the job, then, then they, something needs to change. Correct. Um, and also, just when it comes to these, these statements of, well, deer eat cedars in my part of the world, most of the time that's white cedar, not eastern red cedar. There's a difference. I've seen that on social media oh, a lot absolutely. where people ask about eastern red cedars. And somebody will make the blanket statement, well, they eat mine. Well, most likely that's a white cedar, not a eastern red cedar. From the eye and distance, they look different. I mean, they, they look the same. Yeah. So you, cedar is not, is not equal uh, throughout the entire country. So we, we have to know our species. We have to know what it is we're talking about when we make those comments. And that, that honestly goes into another thing um, that, we, that we've kind of discussed, too, is... is it's so important to know and be able to identify species. Yes. We can't stress that enough from a standpoint of forage and, and attractiveness to certain areas and then how to manage those areas throughout a given year. So I don't mean to jump away from the thermal cover aspect of things, but it kind of blends you know the two of them together that, hey, we really got to stress the importance of, of correct identification of species yes if if you're going to your timber with a chainsaw and you're cutting trees you don't know what they are stop it go buy a book learn the trees in your area Um, get the iNaturalist app start cataloging trees because you don't want to do anything that's harmful over the long run of of your property's health harmful and two you're going to learn your property so much more from a hunting aspect and a management aspect if you understand what it is that's growing there. Yeah. And, and, I, and don't feel bashful if you don't know the trees because, honestly, there are so many species out there. And, again, like just within the cedars, your red and white cedar, each, they may look similar, but they do different things and they offer different things. So all these different species are the same thing. So it, it's a lot to learn. It's a lot to um, educate yourself on. Don't be overwhelmed with it, but just try and learn as you go along before you make potentially big mistakes. That's right. That's right. I will mention one thing, too. Yeah. I know some guys always talk about when they're on the podcast, they talk about what kind of drink they're drinking. Oh, yeah. We are. We just rolled through Ohio. We're now in Indiana, and yep. we've got the, the famous to the region of northern Kentucky AL8. What little town is this? This is kind of cool. I don't, I don't know. Somewhere, Madison? Nope. I don't know. It might Southern be, Indiana. It might be Madison, across. Indiana. I don't know. Um, but anyway, AL8. 
drink of choice this week. That's it's right. a ginger ale soft drink. It's fantastic, I think. Um, so I got to get one every time I roll through. Another observation is with the snowpack, food plots. Food plot. And and the the statement the landowner made was that, I mean he was he was hitting knee high with his kale and and brassicas. Uh-huh. That yep. he said they look beautiful early in the spring, but right now early in the fall. Early in the fall. Yep. Um, they looked beautiful. He said, mm-hmm. but right now they're just white as snow because the snow is just crunching them down. Crunching there was them down, f- and how much forage did they have? I mean, were they hit hard from what he had said? He like, said they got hit hard, but a lot of t- a lot of it was kind of wilting with the colder weather. Okay. And so... Kind of run its course. Yeah, and especially up there. I mean, mm-hmm. it may be great, but at the same time, it gets stinking cold, which you know how brassicas over t- throughout the course of a fall and winter sure. is... They start to they start to, those greens start to fall down and get eaten up and mm-hmm. and if even if they don't get eaten in an ideal world they still fall down and get packed in um, with snow. The thing about it is too, if they don't make bulbs and the, and even if they do, those bulbs are still under snow. Yep. So increasing food sources that can withstand snow and ice to where they're still available to a deer. These are northern state guys. Listen up, brassicas are great. But you can still have brassicas with the combination of still providing food that's above the snow. Yep. How is that? Increasing diversity in your in your uh, food plots to where you have these grains. So two that come to mind, corn and milo. Mm-hmm. Milo um, is a really, really cheap seed. Um, Produces a, a pretty Im- impressive grain head. That's seed right. Head. But also has a stock that can withstand a lot mm-hmm. of winter stress. And so you can have the ability to plant, let's just say you plant a mixture of cowpeas, Lab Lab, um, and Milo in the spring, and maybe you throw in some other stuff. Who knows? Um, You have vining up Lab Lab and cowpeas up this Milo to where you get the pods of the cowpeas, Milo, um, or cowpeas as they're growing up the Milo, to where you're not only providing great summer forage, but then you have that available through the winter. and So it's a, a lot of what the Heritage Blend has. It's it. pretty much a Heritage Blend. Um, now, I, I would assume the Sun Hemp is going to have a little bit of struggle in the northern states since mm-hmm. it is a southern, um, like kind of a, a tropical, tropical plant. plant. It's going to not it's not going to handle those co- cooler temperatures. But who, who cares? Um, you're getting the Milo, which is going to do great. Or you go with the Ancestry Blend that's which new has for this year. Sorghum st- Sedan instead yeah. of Sun Hemp. It's for those guys in Mississippi and Arkansas yep. um, and even the northern states now. And so you go with the Ancestry Mix to where you've got Sorghum Sedan, you've got Milo, you've got soybeans, you've got cowpeas, you've got Lab Lab, and sunflowers and buckwheat, I believe. And so you've got all this great summer forage, but as that Milo and, and cowpeas mature... You do have grain, and and the iron clay piece make like a long, skinny, green bean-looking thing um, that they'll eat in the winter, and so that is well above most snow lines. If you got yes. that much snow, woo wee! And uh-huh. Milo, you're going to have the ability to go back in and broadcast your Absolutely. your brassicas and your greens into that Milo and the Heritage Blend to where you've got greens to eat during the fall, but then you have those other. Um, summer annuals that are going to withstand and provide food during the during the the snowy days so 
Look at increasing diversity in your food plots, especially in the north, everywhere. everywhere. But in the northern right. states, you need to think about some food source that can remain available even with snow on the ground. I think that it's important as as true, like I don't want to say true wildlife managers, but as wildlife managers and land managers, is prepare for the worst conditions. If you are prepared and you have your land prepared, that supplies something for the worst conditions out there. Many wildlife are going to thrive on your property during extreme time frames, and that's when they're the most vulnerable. And if you prepare for those times by planting diversity, having tall um, grain heads available for these ice conditions, these snowpack conditions, extreme cold, you're going to be fine. Think about it like this, too. You're trying to help your deer get through the winter to where they can withstand it and they're not losing drastic amounts of body body health basically overall health to where when things start greening back up they can just start preparing for fawns for antlers and prepare and get back into the the groove of spring and summer but if they drop so low and in, in with their body condition overall body health to where the spring comes along and they have to build it back up and then think about fawns and, and antlers then you're you're not expressing full potential antlers are a secondary sexual trait so their first response if they're in poor health is to get their self back up to uh, the healthy uh, ability to later on reproduce but take care of themselves first in essence and then consider antlers and the importance of antlers put energy towards that production but if you're making it through these tough times healthy and preparing for the worst conditions they produce antlers faster. More That's when you're going to see them. bigger antlers, healthier deer, is getting them through the toughest, toughest part of the year. Not Absolutely. just planting something that supplements a time when there's already plenty of food, mm-hmm. native food. So, increase diversity in food plots. Think about other crops rather than just your corn, soybeans, type rotation, corn, soybeans, brassicas. Think about adding things like milo and sorghum sedan and all kinds of other stuff. Cowpeas. Um, what else? Um, what are the things? Wasted space. Okay, go ahead and hit that. Uh, and I'm, I'm getting through PA, and then I'll let you yep. jump into the others. I guess I was in on the others, too, so it wasn't like you you were down there uh, without me. But um, So, wasted space. Uh, one of the properties, there was an area that was used somewhat for cattle, but not a lot, um, right next to, and it was kind of one of these properties that... Um, deer were betting on the neighbor and then they betted on um, the landowner himself but on the eastern side of his farm so there was this gap to where it was like they only re- they only utilized going from betting area on him and betting area on the neighbor during the night to connect the dots but there was a pasture that would help connect the dots and help keep some deer betting on the western side of his farm but that pasture wasn't really grazed that much and it's not even cool season grasses it's mostly made up of warm season um warm season perennials like uh oh there was there was lots of uh native grasses coming up lots of indian grass some switchgrass, and then there was even uh some forbs in the form of uh goldenrod milkweed um and so that pasture with this farm already having cows and that's the second half of this podcast. But this farm has cows, but they're in a rotation where they move around. 
Summer grazing is fantastic on natives. And so this area could be grazed during the summer for a little bit, just send the cows through once or twice, and then pull them out and, and don't mow it because that's what it was currently getting to, graze a little bit and then mowed. So it was just short, and with the snow on it, it was just a white blanket. Um, but we could leave it tall, plant some shrubs out along the edges to where it creates a better bedding area, but it's also a great loafing shade for the cattle with those shrubs, and then it's great uh, great bedding throughout the year once the cows are removed of that and going back to oh, the cool season pastures. So we can't forget about the opportunities for, for turkeys and, and rearing turkeys in that as yep. well. That's and, that's going to be great cover for, for nesting turkeys uh, along the shrub and line, quail rabbits, quail, and bringing in insects um, for poults and little quail as well. So very. Uh, that was kind of one of those think about your areas that – are mediocre for everything or mediocre for the cows, mediocre for the habitat, um, and try to enhance them. And that one was, was one of those where it was just mediocre. And just by enhancing it, making it optimal grazing, optimal habitat, now he's connecting the dots where there's a better chance of seeing deer moving during daylight on that side of the farm. What do you one got? One of the big things that consistently was seen across much of the landscape and and honestly i think it's pretty predominant in in the eastern united states just because of um the longer land use um and the more urbanization um civilization a lot of invasive species um and and the lack of management um with those species and i want to say it's important to not turn the other cheek and walk away. There's there's Im- important things within wildlife management that need to be done on a yearly basis. A lot of our time, as we have often talked, is devoted to food plots. Um, but if we don't stop to consider where each property is at, where you're at in the management of the property, consider the invasives and considering what you're doing with them. And if you're avoiding them, we need to reprioritize. That's right. What is taking your time up? Um, some properties were overtaken, or many areas were overtaken by Japanese honeysuckle. Um, other areas had Cerisa lespedeza, Tree of Heaven, autumn Bush olive. Honeysuckle, tons of autumn olive. West Virginia was ate up with autumn olive. Yeah, yeah. And, and we can't avoid this. Ohio was ate up with Japanese honeysuckle. Japanese honeysuckle ever. And there's another one, Japanese knotweed in, in West Virginia and in, in, uh, Creek and West Virginia was ate up with Chinese silvergrass. Yeah. Um, the northern part of the state as I drove through going to PA. So please, 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 this goes back to that identif- identifying the species. Um, accurately identifying. If you don't know what it is, Look it up. Educate yourself on it. And then if it is an invasive, actively make a management, you know, management goal this year to do something about it. You're, you may not get it all done in, in year one. And you know what? That's okay. Some of these properties that we looked at this week, they are big projects. I mean, they are big properties. And, and the management and the things that we're going to have to lay out on these farms is going to take years to develop. I think, But don't be overwhelmed by that you have to balance your time and balance the projects 
And what, what was we said? Rome wasn't built in a day. One. That's and right. two, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. I think there was one thing that to- Mr. Todd Watts said that was just like, ah, oh, I loved hearing it. Mm-hmm. And he said, the night we had our big dinner with everybody, he said, knowing what he knows now, he wishes he when he bought the oh, property, yeah, yeah. he would have started on tim- managing the timber rather than creating food plots. Perfect summary, basically, of, of what we are seeing because... Uh, I don't know what it is with Ohio, but a lot of the areas, and we saw this in West Virginia. Did you see it in PA in the timber? Um, just all, overall, very poorly managed years and years ago. And, and actually, now, not PA was no? the timber. The timber that had been Good cut balance. up there was actually cut the right way. They didn't Good. high grade. Good. Uh, but at the same time, they had this is this was PA the the area that I saw. Center of the state. Active timber cutting, but cutting saw logs, and that's it, mm-hmm. to where when they cut, and they only cut certain species, yep. so they cut quite a bit of oak, but not even all of the oak. So there was still lots of timber value left, but at the same time, it opened up the canopy a little bit, right. but not a lot. But not enough to not get enough to do anything, and so really there was lots it. of stump sprouts yeah. that looked like you'd hit them with a bush hog. There were <laughs> so many over. deer, yeah, because of uh, there was crops in the area. But we mm-hmm. all know modern combine, not much spilled grain anymore. Yep, and so a lot of the food up there this time of year, now that food plots are covered in snow, is woody browse, native browse, mm-hmm. and so many deer because. That part of the state, they got two does, one buck. That was it, and so it's tough to manage. You kill herd. two does, and then, and you need to kill thirty. It, it's yeah. hard. It's hard to get good forest <laughs> regeneration. And I think I, I there's a couple friends I have that live in PA uh, on Facebook, and they talked about how most of the timber management up there, if they want good hardwood region, they have to build like 40 acre fences or 100 acre high fences Exclusions. just to keep the deer out so the oaks get a chance that's un- unbelievable and, and honestly that costs a lot of money uh, it's just not even it's not realistic honestly what what is realistic is is from a biological standpoint is to harvest more deer harvest balance more deer cut more trees yeah balance it TSI. out find the find the ratio that that works in that area and it may include reducing deer numbers um because what the, what i uh, mentioned was they were cutting oaks okay yeah oaks you know sometimes they do great stump sprouts sometimes yeah. not yeah um a lot of the species that do really good on regen weren't aren't getting, aren't cut. getting cut and yeah. so that's where tsi comes in where you are cutting those species and you're getting a lot more woody brows, stump sprouting coming up. So well, that's what big you... prescription for that guy, and he's a logger, by the way. Mm-hmm. So lots of cutting, and lots of pulp wood scrag cutting, yep. opening up that canopy, getting a lot more regen, and then focusing on overall timber management on a large scale because we're going to try and get as much woody brows, as many stump sprouts as possible. Then we're going to improve the acres of food plots. We're going to do a lot of a lot of clear cuts to try and really create some stump sprouts, some some great cover, and we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be an awesome property. And that gentleman was way on board with doing some of these clear cuts. Of course, he's a logger. He understands it all. Um, but then going back in and seeding native form season he's grasses within be planting those. A lot. Yeah, 
for sure. Just uh, because that's one part of the that part of the world's really missing these uh, areas of of, of grasses, mm-hmm. and so that grass cover. So there's going to be areas that clear cut and get half acre of um, evergreens planted. And then there's going to be areas that get a, in a mix of grasses, but then there's going to be areas that get a mix of shrubs and, and grasses. And then overall timber management, timber timber thinning, um, it's going to be awesome. I can't Promotion wait to hear of how it goes. oaks, hardwood species. Yeah. That's that's what I it, – it's it's tough to look at and, and truthfully understand, you know, the position. You never know the position that people were in, whether it's farmers, landowners, whatever, you know, 50s and the 60s. Um, but when you look at – the, the mismanagement of the timber back in those days, um, it, it, it appears that many of the areas that we were on, let's say in Ohio, West Virginia, um, some of those areas just clear cut and, and left alone and, and no follow-up management. And now, after many years of this, the Dog regeneration is, yep. is just Thin awful. Timber. And it, it, yep. it's, going in a, it's going in a direction that is um, unproductive and, and promoting species that we're not that honestly we're not looking for and that aren't at the right composition and so that's where tsi like you said on all these properties that we're at is going to be the biggest largest undertaking but when we look at the the number of wooded acres in comparison to some of the open fields that we're talking about here in a second that's the biggest bang for the buck honestly because they're widely unproductive and we have to address them. You can't avoid them. You have to address, redirect the the way that that forest is going to be growing and adding pounds of forage and cover into that. We, we've shared and these numbers before. if you want to do before. what is, let's just go to the hunter and all of us. I want to have the best property in the neighborhood. If you want to have the best property in the neighborhood, most likely... If you're in timber country, start managing the timber, timber and you're going to do what your neighbors aren't doing. Mm-hmm. And that's why logging operations is so, if you can do some logging, get some income, but also at the same time open up that canopy, then return, do some heavy TSI, you're going to have way better cover than, <laughs> I mean, this is a very blanket statement, but probably better than your neighbor. Yeah. Um, just for the fact that most of the acres that we see across the country traveling, walking, our unmanaged timber. And please, 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 please follow up that. Follow up that management. Keep it in productive states. Don't just walk away after after these harvests like we've seen years and years ago. Yeah. So, um, but in that, you know, we talk about closed camp forest, fifty to one hundred pounds of, of forage a year produced per acre. You know, we can trans. We can we can bump that up by just doing in- intensive TSI, and, and really make those acres much more. Uh, productive and attractive, just and, and, and still timber. You're, you're not, you're improving the timber as you do this, though. Like I, I don't want you, to, you know, people think oh, um, I'm giving up something. You're not. You're you're improving the timber, and you're improving the amount of forage and cover that by doing TSI. That's right. And you're actually, if you want to make this year, you're like, oh my gosh, that's overwhelming to think of. Okay, set it up like this: the first year. This winter, from now till April, I am going to make bedding thickets. I'm going to make clear cuts in my timber close to my food plots to where I know I have better cover than than I had last year. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go in and I'm going to set aside and I'm going to say half acre close to every food plot I have. Maybe one or two depending on time. And I'm just going to cut 
90% of the trees in that half acre, 100 yards from my food plots. Yep. Just that alone, you'll see a big difference in the way deer move through your closed canopy forest to those areas. Oh, yeah. Then, next year, you take it and say, okay, I'm going to expand and make another half acre around that. And I'm going to make it, I'm going to still cut 90%. I'm trying to make a full acre. And then at the same time, you could return in the summer and do, your take, a, take a, I don't know, five acres around that and do heavy TSI to where you're not cutting everything. You're just going through and cutting 50% of the junk trees. And you're just trying to improve this every single year to where you're going to see almost immediately and most likely immediately if you cut, and that's a couple other points we'll make later, but if you cut day one and you return and cut day two, uh, like on a weekend, let's say you cut Saturday and then you cut Sunday afternoon, um, you're going to start associating the sound of that chainsaw and the smell of that, that work with food. And you're going to cut and then return to see deer eating the trees, eating the buds off the trees that you cut the day before. That and that's fast. what we saw in we Ohio. We saw that this week. We and, saw that. and not only did we see it in Ohio, we saw a great example of how hungry a deer can be and how they'll select even the poorest of mm-hmm. foods when it comes to um, the comparison between which tree's best to hinge cut or which tree's best to TSI and drop. It was black locust. Didn't even have much of a bud. It wasn't a great bud. It wasn't that tender the on, end the, on the end. Yeah. Um, that's that. a huge difference. Again, Take one bite at a time. Set yourself a goal. Again, don't try to go out there and and do the entire property from a timber management standpoint year one. Do what works for you and make those goals. Set them, achieve them, and know that you're going in the right direction for your property, for your timber, for the wildlife, for your best use. Set the goals and go for it. And be sure to be educated on the tree species and, and what you're doing. So if, you, if you're uncomfortable doing that, consider hiring a uh, forester to evaluate what Consult you do Consult with a state forester. A lot of times they're pre-charged on, the, on getting them out there. Um, so and, and there's even cost share programs for big TSI projects. So get the forestry management plan. Get it done. That will allow you to be able to enter some of these programs in, in most states. Um, and then and then move forward. Oh, there's deer. Yeah, she and was getting ready to. She won that, that was road. a whole long line. <laughs> yes, it was. I don't know if you could <laughs> see him, but um, that would be terrible to, to be driving down the road doing a podcast and hit a deer while we're doing it. I, I thought about being pulled over too. I was like, you know, that'd be really embarrassing. Yeah. Don't mind, oh, guys. Sir. We got blue lights in the rear view. Yeah. Don't mind me, sir. You, yeah. you, you want my, okay? I'm recording. Just give me one minute. Yeah. Um, to me, I think about, too, like when a lot of these people that we were talking to and consulting with, with they all, I, not one of them was just focused on deer. A lot of them were focused that they really wanted to, that what they'd say is, I'd love to chase rabbits. I'd love to shoot squirrels. I'd love to, I'd love to hunt quail if we had them. Um, I'd love to hunt turkeys. I'd love, I'd love hunt the ducks. I love the ducks and I, deer, I was... and I'm toying the idea of having cows. And it was like, okay. All right, guys. Well, you guys, you, you this, these are the fun ones, because it's a. We're just trying to replicate nature in the in the broadest scale possible. I was, and when it comes to um, timber management, that's helping almost all those species. Absolutely, I was extremely encouraged, honestly, this week, 
by listening to and, and we of course we always talk about goals uh, of a property but extremely encouraged to understand and most of these people are you know it's family and they want family recreation but it goes beyond that is not so specific on one exact thing that they want to accomplish having a wide range of of overall property goals and and moving forward in that direction than saying I want to shoot 150 inch deer every single year on this property. Yeah. Not, not to say that that's a bad goal. I, I don't want it to, under, to seem like that. But I was encouraged to hear that people are considering, you know, the importance of songbirds, the importance of seeing woodpeckers on, on the property, the importance of seeing small game, and wanting their property to support that, and not just a single focus, but a broad range, and and then having an income off the property as well. That offset all this. I yeah. was I was so encouraged to see that, and I hope that uh, other people, you know, begin to think of their property too. As in, maybe maybe I do have a multi-use property, and I didn't even know it. Yeah. Maybe I can do some of these things. Um, I always thought they they should be separated, but truthfully, the way you guys are talking about it, and the way you, you're laying out these properties, maybe maybe I can do that. That's right, and and not only that, but. Maybe there's more to cattle farming than just having cows year-round. Maybe there's other ways. Maybe I can run stalkers for six months and then and then get rid of them, sell them, and 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 still make a productive a productive um, cattle operation, but have the benefits of no cows during the winter and fall when it's when it's a royal pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you so, have to feed, when there's a lot of costs associated when with you it, you got to chop ice. Yep. And so these guys, and then following up last week's podcast, when, when I asked Kyle Hedges of the Missouri Department of Conservation, if you had to pick one for quail management, grazing or fire, which one would you pick? And he said he'd pick grazing. I think that opened a lot of our eyes, including my, my own, of saying, I think we underestimate the, the power of grazing, proper grazing, the appropriate grazing, where we're not super, grazing into the dirt. Important. And we're not grazing it all year long, but we graze it in a rotation. Yep. And you never clean the plate as far as you're grazing it to maybe eight inches tall at the at the shortest. Um, and Basically, you're, you're taking two thirds and leaving a third of the plant itself. That's right. And and, and so moving on, moving on and letting that rest. plant have plenty of rest to where it grows back f- completely. And you still get that disturbance. You still get that increase of insects following the cows. Um, and, and you get habitat created. You get better habitat. But at the same time, as we were talking with the other guys, there's tax reductions for the farm involved mm-hmm. in some of this. Um, there's more income. So it's not nothing. You're, you're not signing the, the front of the check the whole time. You can sign the back of the check uh, as well. And so that's a huge thing, very encouraging, because we know that it's it's important for species like the northern bobwhite quail. It helps with the rabbit habitat because these guys are these guys are looking at it, going, "How can I have both?" Well, with the native grasses grazing in the summer, th- that's a great opportunity to have huge gains during the summer and also have great well, habitat. And, and, and here's here's the kind of shakedown of it all with an operation like that. You have to have multiple different types of uh, forages, and, and you're looking at still having some cool season grasses on a property, but managing them appropriately, 
keeping them in, in areas and in, in appropriate areas that aren't going to you know negatively affect you know the potential of recreating from from hunting standpoint. But then you also we think of food plots just as our food plots. They don't have to be just a food plot. Why not allow some cows at the right time of the year to come in and graze some of them? You know, we're thinking the springtime. Bring the cows in during the springtime. Let them forage. Everything else, if you're managing the farm appropriately, should be green. Your food plot shouldn't be the only attraction for and wildlife. And you're fertilizing your food plot because you're not going to allow the cows to graze a food plot and then walk out into the woods and deposit, and the, deposit fertilizer. the fertilizer. You're, you're making them deposit it on your food plot to where you get the increase of uh, microbial activity with, with the amount of insects um, coming in and following that manure, the dung beetles. Um, to me, that is just something so important. If you want to talk soil management, soil health, you can't talk. You, you, it's almost impossible to talk short-term soil improvements without including Manure. large herbivores for grazing. Not including poop. You, you, uh, it's, it's an important you gotta part have of the it. poop. I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't mean to, to make a joke about it, but it's that important. Biologically, it plays an important role in increasing the pr- productivity of soil. And, and we, we always talk about, you know, no-till drilling, diversity, this and that. But grazing, appropriate grazing, excuse me, managed grazing and depositing that, the poop across the landscape in the right way, that is true soil management. If you're it's talking, If you're talking increasing the amount of soil on your property without grazing by other techniques... You're full of poop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. poop involved, but it's yeah. not coming from the cows. Yeah. Uh, and so it's crucial. And so if you are that serious about it uh, and you're looking for ways to try to uh, make some money off your property, don't overlook the power of rotational grazing and cattle. We're going to talk more about this, of course. There's going to be more podcasts. But We're just getting started. We, we, we can't deny the fact that it's an important role in the landscape and the management of farms and then the management of, of true maximizing potential of, of every single acre. Because when we look at a farm, um, a recreational farm, and we add cattle to that system, again, those food plots and the warm season grasses that we think of just as cover is now forage opportunities. So we're taking the, the acres associated with, just with habitat or the right vegetation for wildlife aspects now have a dual purpose. And we're, that's maximizing. When you have multiple when you have acres that have multiple jobs throughout an entire growing season, that's maximizing the land use. That's right. And 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 the most important thing out of all of this is a proper plan to move forward with it, and then executing the plan from a management strategy standpoint every single year. It has to be done appropriately to see the results that you want to see. And, and fellas, we're and ladies, we are. As we consult, I don't know how many. I think we've been in like twenty states or twenty-one states now across the country. It's twenty-four. In in only uh, is it really? Yeah. Uh, in only um, two years, or this is our going on year three. Year three. So we'll celebrate a third year in December of two thousand nineteen. Um, yeah, full year. And so. You know, we you know, a lot of our guys hire us for helping them deer hunt, mm-hmm. but we're seeing an increase of guys that are starting to move towards trying to make multi-use properties. Sustainability, 
bringing the family atmosphere into things and, again, understanding what land does and how it's all so tightly connected. Over the years, we've, we've, missed, we've missed that the ball, honestly. Um, I think in the way that typically people are, are managing farms and utilizing ground. You know, it's, oh, this is, this is just crops. This is just that. Um, it doesn't have to be like that. Not at all. And, and I think as through education, through other, through other people who are out there um, carrying torches in, in their uh, respective fields, people are understanding that relationship and moving towards that because, uh, honestly, that's, that's how we got here. Who, who do we consider, like, the man in wildlife management? Who's the guy who understood land? From the, the founder the, the, of the, wildlife management, Aldo Leopold. That's right. That's where I'm getting at this. And he talked about the five, the five keys to um, wildlife management, and the cattle was one of those. Mm-hmm. And, or, and all of them are disturbances, different ways to disturb the land. Yeah. We can't, we can't manage the land without disturbing it. But we have to disturb it at the right times and the right way. With the, uh, with the, yes, with the right tools. Yeah, and that gets us to proper land management. And it, it gets me excited to know that people are, people are grasping this. Yeah. And we're seeing, we're seeing changes, and we're seeing within our, if you will, clientele or, or people who are interested in, in, I guess, our services. I don't want to sound like we're silly but like they're getting it they're understanding how all this stuff plays in together that's correct and so to me one of the properties we visited the guy wanted to have the ability to hunt ducks hunt rabbits hunt quail have cattle hunt deer hunt turkeys and then and recreate with his family yeah and he's gonna have the ability to do all of that and someone's out there probably going ha in one property i'm like Yes, it will happen. That's right. This property will make it happen with the right plan and him executing it the right at at the guy at the right the helm is it is in control. But he wants it and he's going to go out and get it. That's right. And so I hope this podcast encourages you guys to get out with chainsaw um, get out and and look at your property in a different light of going, you know, I've got a lot of open ground. I might be able to do some sort of maybe there's a farmer in your neck of the woods that would like just like last week Kyle Hedges talked about grazing those grasslands. Uh-huh. Um maybe there's a farmer in your neck of the woods that's doing rotational grazing. Yep. Maybe there's a part of your farm that has been kind of just neglected, it's open ground. Maybe you can convert it to native grasses and wildflowers. And work with that farmer to where he grazes it for a very short window, mm-hmm. and he now pays you a, a, a fee a, for a, grazing. A lease fee for a portion of the year. And now we're talking you're making some income to where you have the ability to where you can call it a business, basically. A it's a farm you have that income. makes income. So and, and, and truthfully, when it comes down to it, think about it from, from a... Uh, a logical standpoint. If cattle are on your property during the summertime for, for a portion of the, you know, the year, is it really affecting anything? No. In, in a negative manner when it comes to the wildlife aspect? 
like like if if cattle are there for a portion of the year to graze warm season grasses, you can't tell me and be serious that because there are some cows there, all the deer left or all the turkeys left. That ain't the way it works. That's right. And so to me, I I I'm very encouraged and continue to to preach that. <laughs> preach the effects of full-on wildlife management full-on land management and hopefully people really enjoy it Um, this is going to be two podcasts this week that i hope people like because it's two topics that um, are are hot right now um, or one that's hot right now and one that we just haven't covered that's todd's got a lot of great information he shared oh yeah um man so with that being said matt um do you have a plant or animal that you just like that you saw this week that you thought, man, that was really cool? That would be that would be something I'd like to uh, or raise awareness of. Um, I thought it was cool just because we don't get to see it that much. Um, and, and it goes back to the guy, the gentleman who was who was saying, I want, I want, I want the opportunity to hunt ducks. Man, yeah. I'm on, I'm on a little bit of flyway. I want, I want that yep. opportunity. Um, he had a kind of a, if you will, let's just call it an impoundment for now. Um, but an area that had backwater into his property and some bottom ground. And um, we're talking about doing some flood control structures and backing water in there, doing moist soil management. What, but what was in there at the time was lots of smartweed, Pennsylvania smartweed. It's yep. cool. It, and and it, it, is a, it produces a little seed um, for ducks. And they will get in there if you flood it right, um, take care of the soil, do this and that, all these little techniques at the right time, you can flood that, and um, it's a great attractant. And so Pennsylvania smartweed, pretty neat little plant, um, likes wet feet. Sometimes you'll see it in clover plots coming up too. Um, but I, that, that was one, hey, you know, I don't get to see that all that often. Um, yeah. and, and this is a way that we can use utilize a native plant for attracting a different species that we don't often have the opportunity to help manage and bring to a property. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Gray um, alder was another one that was right there next to him. Like, ah, I don't get to see gray alder that much. Yep. For me, I think I would have to say, um, so we don't have a lot of them, mm-hmm. but the chestnut oak. Um, yeah. When I was in PA, the, he kept calling them rock oaks, and I'm right. like, what the heck is a rock oak? I've mm-hmm. never seen that in a book. Yeah. And uh, But the chestnut oak, very, very, I, I understand why they call them rock oaks, because Bark is very, very hard, but they're oftentimes deep, deep are growing grooved. in a very rocky environment. Yep. And uh, and a, just a really cool tree, but produces huge acorns. Their acorns and, uh, are as big as rocks, too. That's right. And so um, that was just a really cool one for me that, that um, I think is, is just a, a nice something something new and fresh that we don't get to see a lot of. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yep. um, go check out Land Wildlife Conservation Community on Facebook. Let us know if you're interested or think that you'd you'd want to attend a workshop that we would host at a property in, in different regions to where we would cover different topics that we talk about here on the podcast all the time, but it would now give you the ability to see exactly what we're talking about. Um, let us know, info at landandlegacy.tv. Also, check out our YouTube channel. We're getting ready to start releasing some more films on that yep. um, at Land and Legacy on YouTube. Um, I think that pretty well covers it. We'll see you in Springfield this coming weekend, and then as well in Nashville Nashville the next. February 16th. We'll see you guys there. We'll be there on the 14th, 15th, 16th, but 
We'll see you there, um, 16th Bayou Room C, 6 o'clock. See you guys.